Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. Let's pray again. Father, how grateful we are for the privilege of gathering in this high holy place. May we not take our gathering for granted, but with attitudes of gratitude and hearts filled with praise, we will worship you for you and you alone are worthy of our praise and adoration. Now, Lord, as we turn our attention toward your word, our prayer is always that you would speak, Lord Jesus. Speak to our hearts, open us up that we might hear your word and then be obedient to your word. Challenge us, convict us, but ultimately, God, our prayer is that you will change us, continue to shape and conform us into the image of your dear son, Jesus Christ, because it's in his name and for his glory that we ask you for it all. And the people of God said, amen. Well, good morning. Oh, come on now. It's a great day to be alive. Good morning. morning. What a joy and privilege it is to be in the Lord's house. I hope you're excited to be in God's house. And if you're not, I'm excited enough for you. I am thrilled to be back with you, Coastal Oaks. It's been a while. A lot has changed since the last time I was with you. Last time I was with you, your pastor was away cruising uh, on vacation and and had the privilege of coming and standing and so enjoyed our time and uh, they let me come back. Praise the Lord for that. I do bring you greetings on behalf of Dr. Jim Richards and our entire team there at the Southern Baptist of Texas where I have the privilege of serving you across the great state of Texas in the area of evangelism, helping the over 19 million people in this state who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ helping churches to figure out ways to reach them. We've got a lot of work to do, and the only way we're able to do it is because of churches like you who give, who pray, who sacrifice so much as we partner together to advance the kingdom and push back darkness. Well, we've got a long way to go, a short time to get there, so if you've got your copy of God's Word, will you join me in Exodus chapter 13? The Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. And then I want to invite you to flip over to Exodus 14 and look with me at verses 9 and 10 and then 19 and 20. So again, that's Exodus chapter 13, verses 21, 22. Flip over to the 14th chapter, verses 9 and 10 and then 19 and 20. Two chapters, six verses that I believe God will speak and challenge our hearts today. It's my custom to stand for the reading of God's word. So if you're at all physically able to do so and don't mind doing so, will you join me as we read the word of God together? 21st verse, 13th chapter, book of Exodus, hear ye the word of the Lord. And the, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day 
and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Chapter 14, verse 9. So the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea, besides Peheroth before Beelzephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Look with me at the 19th verse. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Amen. That is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Allow me to use as a thought and title for our time together this morning, trusting through the transition. Trusting through transition. Coastal Oaks, you are in the midst of a transition. Just as the children of Israel in the book of Exodus are a people in transition. Transition is not bad. Transition is necessary. Transition is the process and period where God, or it is the process and period of moving from one place to the next place. All of us ought to be in a perpetual season of transition where God is moving us from a place to a place. Because although he invites us to come to him as we are, he never intends for us to stay as we are. And so as we're growing and maturing both physically and spiritually, we are in the season of transition. Allow me by way of history to give you the story in narrative form. The children of Israel, God's chosen people, have been down in Egypt for over 400 years. They've been in bondage. They've been held hostage against their will. But in spite of being held hostage in bondage down in Egypt, the children of Israel actually thrived. In fact, if you read the opening verses, opening chapters of Exodus chapter 1, you see that these people, God's chosen people, though they were in bondage, they thrived. They, God's hand of favor was upon them and they were thriving there. But then the scripture says there arose a new king, a new leader, a pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And the favor that the children of Israel had, he, because of his own insecurity, began to strip. He put over them taskmasters to make them their lives difficult. He passed laws and legislation to make them Suffer, but your Bible says that in spite of everything that this Pharaoh did, the children of Israel still thrived. 
But because of his insecurity, he said, one day this people will outnumber us. And if they outnumber us, then they will overtake us. So we need to do something to keep their numbers down so that they won't overtake us. And so he passed an edict and says, whenever these Hebrew women are to give birth, and if the child is a female, you allow that child to live. But if it is a male child, you are ordered by the edict of the king to kill the child. But praise God, your Bible says that the midwives feared God more than they feared the king. And even though there were laws on the book to kill these innocent babies, there were people who feared God enough to say, we will not do so. And it's in this setting that God birthed their deliverer by the name of Moses. There was this baby boy that was born that was supposed to be killed, but God had a plan and purpose for his life, and he was saved, rescued, put in a, in a, in a, in a hollowed-out uh, kind of uh, submarine, if you will, I don't know, handmade by, by man and instantly fished out of the water and then this baby was raised in the house of the very king that wanted to kill him. The point that I'm simply trying to make that even though you may not be where you think you ought to be, God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly what you need and God has the ability to provide exactly what you need. Fast forward just a few, gen few decades and then the next time we see this child, he's now a grown man. His name is Moses. He understands his identity and he sees one day one of the one of the taskmasters misusing one of his countrymen and he kills this man. And then we see him again on the backside of the desert. He is a fugitive on the run because of the murder that he did in Egypt. When we find him in Exodus chapter 3 this time, we find him as he's feeding his father-in-law's flock. The Bible says that God speaks to him. He's on the backside of the desert in the middle of nowhere, but God knows where he is. And that ought to be a word of encouragement for someone this morning that it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. It doesn't matter how far you have strayed from God. God knows exactly where you are. And God has the ability to speak to you right where you are. He speaks to Moses, this fugitive, this murderer on the backside of the Midian desert. He speaks to him through a bush that's burning, yet it's never consumed. And as he draws near to hear the voice of God speaking to him, saying to him, Moses, Moses, I've got an assignment, a calling on your life. There is something I want you to do. Now that may not encourage your heart, but that encourages me that here is a man who is a fugitive. Here is a man who is a murderer. Here is a man in the backside of nowhere hiding out and yet God still wants to use him. God invites him to be on mission with him, says to him, Moses, I'm sending you back to where you've come from. I want you to go and tell Pharaoh he's got to let my people go. 
but because Moses also wrestled with his own insecurity, having a clear call from God, Moses does what many of us have done. When we have heard from God, Moses made excuses why he couldn't do what God told him to do. In fact, he said something like this, God, are you sure you want me to do that? Surely you don't want me to go there. Why don't you use somebody else to go? Why don't you use somebody else who's stronger, who's smarter, who's more eloquent in their speech, who's more educated, who's more gifted? Moses begins to make excuses of why he can't do what God has called for him to do. And I want to suggest to us that even in this room this morning, there are some who are listening to my voice, both physically and those on the web, who have heard clear callings from God. We have heard God speak to us, and rather than walking in obedience and haste to do what God has called for us to do, there are many of us, far too many of us, who have made excuses and continue to make excuses of why we can't do what God is calling us to do. God, why don't you use someone else? Why don't you call someone else? Why don't you send someone else? But here's the good news from glory. If God has called you to do it, then God has also equipped you to do it. You have everything that you need to accomplish the assignments that God has on your life. Finally, Moses gets it. He goes, stands before Pharaoh, who was the mightiest man on the face of the earth at that time. And he stands before him and says to him, I have heard from God and God told me to tell you, you've got to let his people go. Well, obviously, Pharaoh was not going to obey just because Moses brought him a word from God. And so God sent Nine plagues. Actually, he sent ten plagues on Egypt. Get Pharaoh's attention. Plague number one, the rivers ran red with blood. But still, Pharaoh would not obey. Flies and lice and frogs infiltrated the land of Egypt, but still... Pharaoh would not obey. The livestock began to get sick and die, but still, Pharaoh would not obey. Painful boils rose up on the flesh of the Egyptians, but still, fire and hail rained down from heaven. Locusts came in and ate up the vegetation, but still, Pharaoh would not be moved. What is it going to take to get Pharaoh's attention? It's a great question. In fact, y'all asked the same question that the early crowd asked. What is it going to take to get Pharaoh's attention? I'm glad you asked. But can I ask you that same question? What is God going to have to do to get your attention? What is God going to have to do in your health? What is God have to do in your finances? What is God going to have to do in your family? What is God going to have to do in this church before we were radically and obediently say yes to the Lord's will and yes to the Lord's way. What is it going to take to get your attention? This great land that we live in called the United States of America. I've been asking that question a lot here lately. What is it going to take to get our attention? 
What is God going to have to do and allow before we will become a nation that simply lives out the creed of who we claim to be? I don't know what it's going to take. It scares me to think of what God is going to have to do before we will say yes and surrender and submit to the will of God. It may not scare you. It scares me. I don't know what it's going to take for this country. I don't know what it's going to take for this world. I don't know what it's going to take for you. But I do know what it takes for Pharaoh. In fact, it was the 10th plague when God calls Moses and Aaron in and tells them to take the blood of the lamb, put it on the doorposts and the lintels of all the houses of the children of Israel. Because at midnight, the death angel would go throughout the land and wherever it did not see the blood, it would kill the firstborn of every man and beast in the land. And it wasn't until Pharaoh's oldest son, the heir to the throne, was killed that he came to a place of obedience. Is God going to have to do something that extreme in your life? Is God going to have to do something that extreme in your finances? Is God going to have to do something that extreme in this church? Is God going to have to do something that extreme in this country? I think so. Before we will simply say yes. But finally, Pharaoh got it. He calls Moses and Aaron in and says, go. And he releases the children of Israel. 13th chapter, around the 36th verse, historians say that there were about 30, there were 600,000 men, somewhere around 2 million people marching out of Egypt, pressing toward a land of promise. The children of Israel are a people in transition. Just like coastal oaks. So what are the lessons that we can learn from the children of Israel's journey that will encourage our hearts and challenge us today? Here it is, lesson number one. If we're going to be the people that God has called for us to be, if we're going to get where God wants us to be, lesson number one, we better make sure God is leading us. Now, I know we're expecting something super deep and super theological that sometimes we miss this simple truth. Listen, my friends, if you and I are going to really be the people of God, if you and I are really going to be and get where God wants us to be, we better make sure that God is leading us. In fact, we learned this lesson right here from the text. In the 21st verse of the 13th chapter, your Bible says, and the Lord went before them. Don't miss that. Don't run past that. The Lord went before them. The children of Israel were in the midst of transition, but they understood that if they were going to be who God called them to be and if they were going to get where God wanted them to be, they better make sure that God was leading them. Now, I know you're saying, well, isn't Moses out front and isn't Aaron leading the charge? And the answer to that is true. But here's the truth of the matter is where God was trying to take them and where God is trying to take you is bigger than who Moses is. 
I understand you're a church in the, midst, in the midst of a transition. I understand that you are now without pastoral leadership. Well, not pastoral leadership, because you do have leaders who are serving pastorally, but you don't have a modern Moses who is out front leading the charge. But here's the truth of the matter is where God is trying to take you is bigger than who Moses was. Because if we have too much focus on who Moses is, we'll leave and, and forget to lean on the reality that you better make sure that Moses is being led by God too. And unfortunately, we have too many people who have their eyes more on Moses and less on God. And when Moses falls, because Moses is merely a man, when Moses makes mistakes because Moses is merely flawed, then their faith is fickle, their faith is flawed, and they fall away from the faith because rather than having their eyes on God, they have their eyes on Moses. Listen, my friends, if we're going to be the people of God, we better make sure that God is leading us. Well, let me give you the lesson number two, and then I'll quickly get on out of your way because there are five of them. Lesson number two is simply this. If we're going to be the people that God wants us to be and get where God wants us to be, we better make sure that we understand that God can be exactly what we need him to be at the moment in which we need him to be in. We serve an awesome God, and he has the ability and power to be exactly what we need him to be when we need him to be. You don't believe me. Look at the text. Your Bible says that by day in the pillar of cloud he was. But by night, the children of Israel needed God to be different than what he was during the day. And so at night, he was a pillar of fire. In the daytime, he was a pillar of cloud. All I'm simply saying is that whatever the children of Israel needed God to be, he was. That encourages my heart. That blesses me to know that I serve a God. We serve a God who has the ability and the power to be exactly what we need him to be. He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we need. He has the power and the authority and the ability to be exactly what we need him to be. Let me just continue to tell you a little bit about their story. This people, God's chosen people, wandered in the wilderness for over 40 years, and yet only a God like the God we serve can rain down manna from heaven to feed his people who are hungry. We serve an awesome God. Only a God like the God we serve can bring forth water out of a rock. Only a God like the God we serve can change bitter water into better water, sweet waters, all through the dipping of a branch in the waters. We serve an awesome God. Only a God like the God we serve can allow these people to wander in the wilderness, but yet their shoes and their clothes never wore thin. Only a God like the God we serve can bring this people to a Red Sea with mountains on both sides of them, their enemies behind them, and a great body of water before them and only a God like the God we serve can tell Moses stretch out the rod and pull back the curtains of a Red Sea while his people walk through on dry land. I know you don't get excited about that God but I'm so excited about that God I almost can't stand myself because he is awesome and worthy of our praise. So you better make sure God is leading you. 
understand that God can be exactly what you need him to be at the moment in which you need him to be in. Let me give you lesson number three. Lesson number three is a bit of bad news, but it's a reality that many of us need to wrestle with. And that reality is simply this. You have an enemy, and your enemy will continue to pursue after you. You have an enemy. His name is Satan. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes under the unction of the Holy Spirit, and he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, power, spiritual wickedness in high places. He says to us, we have an enemy, and our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is Satan. If you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, your enemy's name is Satan. He wants to rob you of your destiny. He wants to rob you of your testimony. He wants to keep you from being who God's called you to be. He wants to keep you from getting where God wants you to be. You have an enemy. We have an enemy. So oftentimes, even in this very country. We're fighting amongst each other and we're calling each other enemies across ethnic lines, against political lines, when the reality is we have an enemy. His name is Satan. He wants to destroy us. He wants to rob us of our testimony. He wants to rob us of our integrity. And far too many of us are falling prey because we don't understand who the real enemy is. Children of Israel had an enemy who was now in hot pursuit. In fact, you may not even believe me. So if you flip over to the 14th chapter, 9th verse, you see your Bible saying that the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his, horse, his horsemen, and his army, and overtook them while they were camping by the sea. So here's the picture Pharaoh is their enemy. He had released them from bondage, told them they were free to go. And while they are going, while they're doing, while they're being who God called them to be, going where God called them to be, to go, this very enemy is now in hot pursuit after them. Our enemy is just like that. He pursues us. In fact, scripture says that he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. They have an enemy. And this enemy has unleashed everything he has. He has unleashed all of his horsemen. He has unleashed all of his chariots. He has unleashed all of his horsemen and his army all because he's trying to stop the people of God from being who God called them to be and going where God called them to go. It was true of them and it is true of us. That's why you better make sure God is leading you. Why you need to understand that God can be exactly what you need him to be. Don't be naive. You have an enemy who wants to destroy your family, who wants to destroy this country, who wants to destroy your life, who wants to destroy your church. But I don't want to leave you in the negative, so let me give you number four. 
because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Lesson number four is simply this. When you get in trouble, when your back is against the wall, when you're between the devil and the deep blue sea, you know you need to do something. God's got your back. Actually, that's number five. Number four is simply this. When you get in trouble, you've got somebody you can call on. Now, that may not encourage your heart, but it encourages me to know that when my back is against the wall, when I'm in trouble, when I'm struggling, I've got an advocate. I've got somebody I can call on. In fact, your Bible says in the 10th verse of the 14th chapter that when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And here it is. The children of Israel cried out out to the Lord. They were in trouble. They had mountains on both sides of them. They had this body of water in front of them. They had their enemy behind them. They were trapped. They needed to do something and didn't really know what to do. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? Cry out to the Lord. They had somebody that they could call on. We have somebody that we can call on. His name is Jesus. Just a little talk with Jesus makes everything all right. We need to lean into his word. We need to lean into him in prayer. Bend our knees, bow our heads, cry out to the Father. But unfortunately, far too many of us, when we're in trouble, especially in the local church, we don't cry out to the Lord. The first thing we do is want to cry out to Moses. And what we sometimes do is we expect Moses to be for us what only God can be for us. So Coastal Oaks, as you are seeking and searching and praying about who your next Moses ought to be, make sure that you do not ascribe to Moses a position and a platform that is only able To be sustained by one. Do not expect Moses to be your God. Because when you're in trouble, just like where God is trying to take the children of Israel and where God is trying to take coastal oaks is bigger than who Moses is. When your back is up against the wall, only God can help you. Because Moses is merely a man. In fact, if the children of Israel get caught, Moses is caught too. Praise God for godly men who are called of God to lead God's people. You better make sure that you're calling a man who's being led by God. And you follow him out of the unction of God's leading. But you better make sure God is leading. Understand that God can be exactly what you need him to be when you need him to be. Don't be naive. You do have an enemy. 
and your enemy will continue to pursue after you. But when you get in trouble, you've got somebody that you can cry out to. Let me give you number five and then I'll get to my seat. Reminding you that first of all, Ephesians chapter six tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, principalities, power, spiritual wickedness in high place, places. Paul goes on to say, therefore, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the trickery, the traps of the enemy. Paul says that because you have an enemy that wants to destroy you, you have to gird up yourself with the armor of God that you might be able to do battle against the enemy. And so when you read the armor of Ephesians chapter 6, you see a breastplate of righteousness. You see a shield of faith. You see a helmet of salvation. You see shoes uh, of the gospel. You see uh, shoes that are prepared. You see all of this stuff and everything is for a frontal attack. But when you read and see the armor of God, there is nothing for your back. You may be asking, why in the world doesn't God provide protection for our back? And I've heard some people say, well, God expects us to watch one another's back. You know, I got your back, bro. You know, that kind of stuff. I got your back. If you need me, call me. I don't believe that. Because most of the wounds that I have came from church people. Because church people are some of the meanest people in the world. I know not Coastal Oaks, but, but you know that church over there. Church people are some of the meanest people in the world. Notice I didn't say Christians are the meanest people in the world. Because there is a distinct difference between a Christian and a church person. Unfortunately, we have far too many church people who are calling themselves Christians, but when you look at their lifestyle and their witness, they look more like non-Christians than they do Christians because they're merely churchgoers. So I don't believe that the reason God didn't give us anything for our back is because he expects us to watch one another back reason God didn't give us anything for our back is shown right here in the text. God's got our back. And it's really the fifth lesson that I stopped by here on my way to heaven to encourage you, to say to you that God's got your back. Coastal Oaks, God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly what you need. God has the ability and the power to give you exactly what you need and who you need. Let me just drop a dime in the meter and park there just for a moment because I know that in seasons of transition, there are always those who are saying, why did Moses, why did Moses leave us? If God wanted you to have that Moses, God would have left that Moses. But because you're in church in transition, because you're always in the process of moving from a place to a place, that God calls one Moses for one season, but in order to get to the next season, it necessitates a different Moses. But unfortunately, and sometimes, let me just give you a, a bit of prophetic warning. If you're not careful, you'll seek to replace the old Moses with the new version of the same Moses. But if God wanted to have that Moses, God would have left that Moses. I don't know who I'm talking to. The spirit just said, drop that in the, drop that in the gumbo for a minute and let them, let them marinate on it. 
Better make sure God's leading. Understand he can be exactly what you need him to be. You have an enemy who continues to pursue after you. But when you get in trouble, you've got somebody that you can cry out to. And relax, rejoice that God's got your back. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. He knows who you need. And he has the ability to give you exactly what you need as he moves you from one place to another place. Those are the lessons of how we trust God through transition. They're promises. They're principles that you can hang your hat on. The promises and principles of God are for the people of God. And maybe you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Then the bad news is those principles and promises really aren't accessible to you. Because they are made available through those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today, I've got good news. That with a simple step of faith, you can access all the promises that God makes available to his people. By simply placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In fact, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make in this life. It's a decision that's so great, it don't just affect this life, but it affects life eternal. And so if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ in just a second, Andy is going to give you some directions on how you might make the most important decision of your life. But for those of us who are trusting Jesus, those of us who are walking with Jesus, I just stopped by here on my way to heaven to encourage you as a church family to say to you, make sure God is leading. Understand that he can be whatever you need. You have an enemy. And as I was telling the brethren in the back, sometimes the enemy shows up most in the season of transition. And folks start jockeying for position and they start fighting about trying to gain power. Recognize who the enemy is. And then do war with the real enemy. Because there is nothing more dangerous than to spend time fighting amongst each other internally while not doing war with the real enemy that's seeking to destroy you. Concerned that that's what we're doing as a nation. We're fighting amongst each other we're calling each other enemies against ethnic and political affiliations and denominational identity and we're fighting amongst each other. But there are enemies out there. They're saying that once they finish fighting amongst each other, then we'll slip in and we'll destroy them. It is true of nations it is true of churches, it is true of families, it is true of marriages. 
recognize the enemy and do battle with the real enemy. And relax, rejoice. God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you need. And he's got your 